Okay, welcome back. Edwin, that means you. <laughs> okay, um, hopefully we're all refreshed. Uh, coffee, caffeined up. We're going to have a couple of presentations. Um, one, Ed's going to talk a little about middle of the funnel email, and I'm not going to break his thunder by, by going into any more details than that. But just before, I've, I found this video because Christian was talking about breakups. And, and you know, it's not really a GDPR issue in this terms of this video, but um, if you're in a, in, in a sales situation, you try and outreach to people, you try and talk to people, you try and engage with them, and sometimes, you know, nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> you can try really, really hard, and sometimes nothing happens. So the traditional sales methodology way of doing that is that you write this, this breakup email. And the breakup email normally says, oh, well, you know, we tried. You know, if, if you want to keep in touch, here's my contact details, and thank you very much. Um, somebody at HubSpot decided one day that that wasn't good enough, and they thought they'd send a breakup video. So this was what actually happened. I've got no idea this is going to work. <laughs> Technology on the fly, but let's see. Okay, I get it. You don't want to hear from me anymore. That's fine. I wanted to make sure you had the best marketing information available. I mean, you clicked on the emails. You know, I saw. I know you clicked on them. I know what you clicked on. Okay, that sounds kind of creepy. I wasn't, like, cyber-stalking. Like, I wasn't checking out um, your Facebook page or anything. Like, like, I was... Just forget that part. Just forget that part. It was a notification. I barely even... I didn't even look for it. It popped up. Oh, it's definitely over. It's not, I just blew it there. Remember when we had that webinar? Remember? You know, maybe if things were just a little, maybe we could, I could change. I could change. I don't have to, you don't need email. You could, I mean, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn a fair bit. I mean, we could be friends with, with benefits, right? <laughs> um, video's a good thing, right? It doesn't have to, <laughs> have to be that extreme. But let me, um, let me move rapidly on. I'm going to close this down, get rid of all of my emails, and fire up its presentation. I'm actually going to hand directly over to Ed to introduce himself, because it helps if I choose the right thing. It's quite full screen mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a story, and I think it's probably better come from the man himself. Excellent. Ed Thank Fine. you. So I guess as a HubSpot user group, uh, it's good to get to know each other a little bit more. There's, this is how many people now? It's supposed to be sort of... 50-ish. Yeah. So we want to grow to... Hundreds-ish. Okay. So I think he's going to talk a bit about, uh, about that next. Um, so everyone here is on HubSpot, right? Hands up if you're on HubSpot right now. Right. Hands up if you've been on for a year or more. Two years? Three years? Give your hands up. <laughs> Five years? Oh, okay. So we look, look around for the room. That's where the uh, interesting people are. So what I want to share today is some of the cool stuff we've been doing with HubSpot customers uh, at Hull. Um, but to kind of set some of the context, I need to share a little bit how I ended up in the kind of HubSpot ecosystem, the HubSpot world. So this is me with Damesh and Rand. Uh, Rand Fishkin at Moz, uh, Damesh, who, who founded HubSpot. Um, 
And a little while back, about 2013, they were like, we need to create this community for marketers like this today, but everywhere online. And so they founded a site called Inbound.org. Has anyone heard of it? OK, cool. So I did my job, which was to manage this community um, early on. Uh, whilst Moz was growing, venture-backed. HubSpot was growing, venture-backed. Both ran under Def Darmesh were pretty busy. So they hired me, AJ team, to sort of look after the community. Here's 500 bucks a month for your time. Here's $12,000 to last indefinitely. Go fly. And over the course of four years, we grew that community from about 5,000 people when I joined to 165,000 people. Um, HubSpot acquired it formally in about late 2013, 14. Um, and that's really how I fell into the HubSpot ecosystem and using HubSpot uh, and uh, using that for within the community. So I come at it from a very different angle to maybe uh, a bunch of people here. But here's the thing, like 165,000 people, that sounds really, really cool. But so what? That didn't actually mean anything as a community, as our metrics, our metrics all cared about engagement, about content. Um, so traffic was decent. We had a ton of content, a ton of people producing content. Member acquisition was actually really easy. We never really had to pay attention to this. We had plenty of people who wanted to partner, plenty of people who talked with us, all that big top of funnel inbound stuff, which you've heard about before. But what mattered is driving that engagement amongst the community. How do you get those people who sign up to take action, to contribute? So just to share some of the kind of numbers, uh, which, which are behind this kind of engagement model, for every discussion that would be seeded in the community each week, we'd expect about 2.7 more members to be doing something contributing more content. And with that, we'd be able to drive, for every single one of those, about four more weekly active users. Now, this was the key metric we were chasing after, people who were actively engaged in the platform. So we need to increase the number of contributions. But the thing about this community, like, look around. Everyone's different. Yes, we might all be using HubSpot. Yes, we might all be trying to chase this methodology about building, uh, building better businesses with inbound marketing and the inbound methodology. But all these people were different. So how can we increase contributions across that? So increasing engagement is really about spotting this fit, like who are the best people to answer a question, to comment on an article, and their intent, like their willingness to contribute. And the reason why I want to start with community is it ties exactly to what we're doing when we're building a business. Lead qualification is about building fit and intent. So I'm going to come back to this chart a lot because it gives us a canvas to work in, a canvas for thinking about uh, how we can qualify leads and build a better qualified lead. So qualified leads set up, up here in the top right. And they don't really look like these in the top left. Like someone signs up for your product, but they haven't really done much. Then maybe they're a small team of small startup and not a big company like HubSpot. So what? Your newsletter subscribers, maybe all you've got is their email address. Or maybe, just maybe, you've gone back and bought a cold email list and trying to spam people again. Maybe that's a really good fit list, but it's cold. It's not up there in the top right. So at inbound, what we were trying to do is nurture everyone. Everyone, just whoever they were, just push them over, the top, uh, over to that right-hand side. Doesn't work. So Darmesh has a forward, what he calls a strategic plan, a forward mantra, do fewer things better. And whatever it is and whatever he's worked on, he's always boiled down to, back to this principle. How can we do fewer things better? So who are these right people? How do we engage them? Who are the best fit people for whatever that conversation was, whatever that thing we were trying to drive engagement with? So what I'll share really briefly is that scalable, repeatable outreach playbook we use that inbound and what it means for you and your marketing funnel. 
So a big part of our engagement was around Q&A, around questions. So we'd find a, something like this, something which someone had posted, something that wasn't yet answered, but was answerable. I'd tidy this up a bit, like the problem with user-generated content is sometimes a bit messy. I'd then leave a comment. No one wants to arrive first and leave that first thing, like arrive in an active party. And then I'd hop into HubSpot. So we had all our contacts, all our members inside HubSpot, building that unified uh, profile rights inside of HubSpot. And we'd set up an email. How long does it take to create your best content? Write a little plain text personal email. Um, I'm not sure you can read this in the back, but this is curious to see if you could help out with this thread. Mike from Pittsburgh, blah, 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 blah. I've left a comment. I'd appreciate it if you could share some of yours. Thanks, Ed. That's it, nice and simple. I'd then hop into my pre-built set of segments you see things here like skills, job titles, the interests, so things around page views, et cetera. And we'd select some of these pre-built segments, since you're a writer, job title writer, et cetera. Be able to reference back to things who people are. Prepare these lists, these pre-built outreach lists, uh, right inside HubSpot. So I don't see, over here, you, you can't see this, but that's Outreach EMEA, Outreach Americas. Time zone being very important to us. You want questions to be answered the same day, preferably within the same morning. And we suppress people who'd already had emails, suppress people who had outreach in the past 10 days, and suppress Gmail contacts. When you're sending out personal emails like this, just a small thing is uh, you don't want to be necessarily emailing people who you really know, or if you do, you want to change how you, uh, how you say it. So suppressing those. And send. So I've just, rather than doing that one by one in Gmail, I've just sent 1,400 emails. And right away, I've had about 29 opens and a couple of click-throughs. Come back an hour later, I've got 53 people through. And I've got 10 comments. This, for us, was a breakout on the site. This is where that uh, conversation becomes self-sustaining and continues to grow. So this is the kind of outreach playbook we could repeat all day, every day. And it was awesome. Like, with these kind of outreach emails, with this kind of engagement, we could drive four times higher click-through rate than our traditional emails, than our newsletters, sometimes as high as 40%. You'll probably not guess how like, that particular email that we sent, which did that, but it was <laughs> sending to our Dublin members, inviting them to an event called Learn Inbound in Dublin, where the subject line was literally just pub question mark. Everyone opened it, free event, <laughs> people signed up. I know like, you shouldn't stereotype, but in that case, you did. <laughs> um, but what this meant is quite quickly, we could double our, like, our weekly contributors with this targeted outreach. We did fewer things better. And those weekly contributors, as you saw from our engagement model, would drive so much more growth in the community. Uh, I think Clued's sharing the slides afterwards, so I put in links to where you can go and see the full story and sort of how you can repeat that, especially some of the lessons from scaling personal email, like where you're trying to replicate the Gmail, because uh, there's some pretty hilarious and awkward results. Um, you should definitely check that out. But inbound marketing is this. Your numbers sing when you get this right. Your numbers sing when you get that content, you pull in the people at the top, but bring that through to the rest of the funnel. Your number's four times better than our newsletter. Everyone gets newsletters. So what? But I'm reaching out to you to ask you to do something really specific. This is really cool. But this also took a lot of engineering time. Like, all that data in our community, that's in our backend database, a SQL database. That's not accessible to me as a marketer. So writing that into HubSpot with a ton of engineering time so we could send these highly segmented, highly targeted emails. So then I saw Hull, and I moved to Hull because it makes this all possible. This makes it all accessible to a marketer. And what I want to share today is some of the stories about how we can integrate this together. Earlier, we heard about HubSpot Connect and building that unified profile inside of HubSpot so that you, as a sales manager, as a marketing manager, have access to all this data for your campaigns, for your lead qualification, for whatever you want to do. You need access to that as a marketer. 
but so often that data sits so in different places, like analytics tools, like in ad tools, like enrichment tools, etc. And this is a really important part of what we want to do. So working around this kind of data, working around this, these possibilities, we're working with companies like this who are using HubSpot and Hull, like Drift and Mention and AppCuse, to build a better qualified lead. And really this has profound impact up the funnel and down the funnel and down all the way through to sales and the whole customer lifecycle by building a better qualified lead, by having that full data on each lead, customer, visitor, etc. So the point which I really want to make, you're already doing great inbound marketing at the top of the funnel. Everyone's talked about it. Everyone's talking about great content. Everyone's talking about building search, social, etc. But that's not the only part of an inbound strategy. So often, we capture that email, and then we just relentlessly nurture. And there's no better than where marketing was beforehand. It's just spam. So what I want to tell you today is how do you win across the whole of inbound marketing by building a better qualified lead. So previously, the story was something like this. Marketing captures a lead. They sign up, newsletter, whatever. Marketing qualifies a lead. They maybe there's some nurturing. There's some score which ticks over. They send it through to sales, and sales, whether it's in HubSpot CRM or Salesforce or whatever, whatever the disconnect is, they actually call them up, disqualify it, and that's the end. How can we fix this story? How can we stop this happening again and again and again? Well, the answer is right where you're not looking, and I've hinted it before. Top of the funnel has the big vanity metrics. Everyone likes to talk about visitors. Everyone likes to talk about these big vanity metrics. But the bottom of the funnel has the money. Like, sales guys are answerable to money. You can't argue with that. The middle of the funnel, not so sexy. Like, who really cares about the hundreds of people you've nurtured that month? No one. Like, these, these are just a couple of snippets from something I saw that day when I built, uh, when I built this slide deck. It's just not interesting. But it's secretly awesome. Like, this is where the money is. This is where us as marketers have so much control and so much power over the whole of the customer lifecycle. See, the top of the funnel is scalable. You can drive a lot of traffic through Google, maybe ads, maybe whatever referral network, however you want to get traffic. But you lack data on each lead. You don't really know that much about them. Similarly, the bottom of the funnel, you have plenty of data. Like, a sales guy inside their CRM is going to have so much on that each lead, on each person they need to talk to, maybe down to their favorite coffee but you're limited by a one-to-one -one interaction. It's not scalable. Only the mid-funnel has the data and ability to scale, and this is why it's really, really awesome, because you can personalize and automate messaging at scale. Personalize and automate messaging at scale is how you get these high results. It's how you can forex emails like we did at Inbound, and it's how you can get the results I'm about to tell you about. So when we think about personalization, uh, a whole we use a five-part framework for this. And the first rule, the golden rule, who you talk to becomes what, before what you say. Personalization isn't saying, hi, first name, and then just continuing on with your spam, your standard sales patter. It's really, who are they? What do they care about? How can you match the message up for that? And the golden rule is where HubSpot excels. You've got all your smart lists and static lists. This is, that is baked into the HubSpot product. And then you've got the content. Whether, whether you're sending out like a landing page, an email, or whatever, you have the ability to dynamically uh, update that content too. This is where HubSpot is really, really good. And they realized this way back. So back in 2011, again, check out this link. So Brian uh, detailed about how they, how they shifted from focusing on these top of funnel products, these vanity metrics, to the middle of funnel products, because this is where they're seeing the biggest results and the best retention amongst cohorts. Um, so that's a very, very interesting uh, link. Go check it out later. But why can't you do this already? Why is this still a problem? Like We've been talking about the inbound methodology for 
what, coming up on 11 years, 12 years now. See, it's really a data problem. It's not that we don't want to do this kind of stuff, this really personal, empathetic marketing throughout the funnel. It's that we don't have the data in the right place. So I'm going to tell you about Oz Content. So a HubSpot user we were working with, they sell software to help uh, people ideate around what content they need. Um, and they were piling up about 1,000 leads a month, people signing up to newsletters, different offers, etc., and had about 15,000 leads in total. But despite all that, the inbound funnel was not fully working. They had just a trickle through to sales at the end of it. And here's the problem. Most of their leads start out just like this, like edithole.io. So what they wanted to do is fill in the blanks. And this is where data enrichment providers can come in. So to fit, take that email address and return all these values, what is my name? What is my job title? What company do I work for? How many Twitter followers do I have? Tell me about more about that company. Fill in that profile. Fill in the blanks. So using a data enrichment provider through Hull, they could sync this data through into HubSpot. Every new lead that would come in would come into Hull. Hull also has this unified customer profile, but extends beyond just our sales and marketers. It extends to everything. And by enriching this profile with, with uh, data enrichment providers, we had that full profile inside Hull, which we could then sync and update in HubSpot in real time, which means we can update those lists and that dynamic content in real time as a marketer. So now Oz could identify fit up front. They could do fewer things better. They could just find the best, best fit customers and start to nurture. So they'd be looking for things like tech. Someone on HubSpot is a good, good use case with them, with 50-plus employees. They want to talk to a marketer, maybe at VP exec level, so they have a buyer. And they want to talk to people in the US. So they could have all this data inside of HubSpot. They could build those segments, and they could nurture based on that. So now with these segments, who to talk to, remember the golden rule. They could build these precise segments and match with precise content. Now, they have to be experts in their field of content ideation. They then put on really niche, really specific webinars for these small, really targeted audiences. So they knew what to say. Remember the golden rule. So when sending these highly targeted uh, webinars to these highly targeted audiences, they found these open rates triple. Think about that for a second. And then they also noticed a bunch of email forwarding. So whoever the marketer was, whoever the person on the list, they would be forwarding to the rest of their company. And they saw attendance from these accounts really, uh, really increase. So all attendees were then marked as a marketing qualified lead and sent through to sales. And sales had the easiest intro ever. They knew who to talk to, people who had attended. They knew what to say. Is this niche problem, which you've just listened to for an hour about, a problem at your company? And they knew when to say it right after the webinar. So what was cool, and this is a really great inbound story, is that sales stopped sourcing their own leads. They stopped doing this cold outbound. Previously, 80% of their sales qualified leads were coming from themselves, only 20% from marketing. And so marketing was able to soar right up to the right, a 20x increase in marketing source qualified leads. This is what you can do when you fix the mid-funnel. And as a result of that, they had a four times increase in qualified leads overall, and they made their marketing better, this inbound methodology. So you talked a bit about finding fit and nurturing across there. What about intent? So AppQs is a company based in Boston. They, HubSpot's a customer of them. They, when you see the interstitials, it's like the HubSpot product recommending you to try different things. That's AppQs working there. And AppQs have a free trial-based model. You can sign up for free. You can install that little snippet. You can start creating these in-product messages with ease. The problem, though, is sales don't know if an account is ready to buy. They're already doing this are they a big enough company? Are they a good fit? But they don't know how far along this buying cycle they are. 
the data for this all sits within product analytics tools. It's not what they, what's in those tools, a stream of events by user, by contacts, is not what a sales rep needs, which is this person is product qualified, this person is getting value from the product. You should call them because they have done X. And having that inside HubSpot CRM. So sales reps just need these simple insights inside their workflow. They don't want to be dotting around between tools, especially complex analytics tools, especially complex data tools. So by connecting these three up, so they have product analytics, write that into whole, stream of data, what have people been doing? Enrichment data, are they a good fit company? And then write this into HubSpot in a way that makes sense, which doesn't junk up HubSpot. So now their sales reps could see things, like for starters, they could see trial modal limit viewed. So this is something which the AppQ's product would trigger when, uh, when their trial modal's limits was, were, had run out. And the viewed means they've seen this message Ready, they were primed that they needed to upgrade. So then, and only then, were they product qualified and they were synced through to sales. So product, uh, sales could focus on these product qualified leads. They had 30% leads to focus on, and they knew exactly what to say and who to talk to. They also, um, we had a question about Slack earlier. So they, this pinged through to HubSpot, it also pinged through to Slack, so the whole team would have real-time notifications on when, when a new account came product qualified, which is also a different kind of motivator. Previously, a lot of this could be quite in the dark, where you don't have this unified uh, set of data, when you don't have everything visible. But even in HubSpot, only certain people have access to sales. So having that, having that complete view across the company when all this is ticking through. So sales have these insights also to personalize the outreach, not just fewer people, but what to say. Um, and they could talk to specifically to product usage within, within, uh, within AppQs. So the way John Shearer, the director of sales, talks about it, it's about identifying the moments people are moving through the buyer's journey and then taking that information in and reacting. So this is how you can turn that intent into that top right corner. But what if there's not enough intent? How can you increase that engagement? How can you nurture someone through that buying cycle? So the problem with email is although it's scalable, as though it's very available, HubSpot's very good at it, is you can burn out leads by doing too much. But another scalable channel, another platform you can do, uh, do this kind of stuff with, is ads. So by using email and ads together to nurture over each hump, each, new each piece of content, each step of the buyer's journey. So by syncing Clearbit data, HubSpot data, and Facebook ads together, how many people in the room are familiar with Facebook custom audiences? A show of hands. Okay, so for those who, who aren't yet familiar, so this is an idea of an ad audience built off an email list, a telephone number, or another identifier, which Facebook has. So imagine your HubSpot list inside of Facebook, and then Facebook matching that up with the right Facebook uh, ID. So now you can really precisely target your ads, and what you can then do is update those ads like you would uh, a HubSpot smart list in real time. So what we had an account do is bring in these 1,700 leads, about $3.50 each, all in. This means the top of the funnel is working. This is great. But what they could also do by getting this sequential nurturing is getting 53 sales qualified leads of their first campaign at less than $30 each. They were selling this for four or five figures. This worked pretty well. So building that sequential multi-channel nurturing to, to grow intent. And also, because this was inbound, this wasn't outbound. These weren't cold leads. These weren't people who weren't engaged with the company, didn't understand the content. They'd already engaged with this, and so sales had an easier stand again. They knew who to talk to, what to say, when to say it. So 3% lead to SQL is the result here. Now, I didn't say this was sexy, but it does mean your mid-funnel is working. And these are really an impact on that 
is significant. Turning 3% to 4% is, is significant. And what this means is your inbound strategy is beginning to work. Again, I didn't say I was sexy. You have a lot in the top of the funnel, a lot in the bottom of the funnel. Increase, optimizing that middle uh, is very, very powerful. Uh, just before uh, I had to give the slides, and we had another, uh, another customer come in who increased from 1% to 6% lead to customer in two months with a similar strategy, this sequential nurturing uh, via multiple channels. I didn't say it's sexy, but that's significant. 1% to 6% through to sales, but you've just increased sales pipeline by 6x. So what I want to leave you with is to encourage you to take control of your mid-funnel. You've heard all about the top of the funnel. Your sales are going to tell you all about the bottom of the funnel, but it's the joining the bid in the middle is really, really important. I think Clue is going to talk about sales, alignment, uh, sales and marketing alignment next. And this kind of can set the stage for that. The mid-funnel is where all the magic happens. Solid uh, mid-funnel marketing, solid lead qualification is sales enablement. You set up your sales for success this way. And I've just shown you three examples, but... Think of the possibilities, all this data in different places that you as a marketer don't have access to yet. You as a sales team don't have access to yet. What if you could have that inside of HubSpot? How can you use that in creative, interesting ways? So to sort of recap, how to build a better qualified lead. The top of the funnel is not a complete inbound strategy. You might have the best content, but if you are spamming, if you are relentlessly nurturing everyone, do fewer things better, focus on the best fit leads. The golden rule of personalization. Who you talk to comes before what you say. High first name is not personalization. The mid-funnel is data-rich and scalable. Top of funnel isn't, bottom of funnel isn't. This is where the magic happens. You can find fit up front with data enrichment. Um, I left a link in the slides. You can go and check out a free data enrichment provider um, that you can test today. Maybe uh, you can download and upload to the HubSpot. You can try that this afternoon. Find fit. Uh, sorry, find intent by taking your marketing engagement data, your product engagement data, and computing that. And then you can nurture the higher intent by using multiple channels, coordinating this message across different places. Um, now, I talked a lot today about data. Um, just something which helped uh, teams in terms of understanding how this, this works is sort of diagrams to show the kind of data flow. So you can grab these at hull.io slash get slash playbooks. So that's the uh, kind of playbooks which you can uh, go and grab these with. So that's how to build a uh, better qualified lead. Uh, I hope that's been interesting. Any questions? Yes. Edwin. How are you doing, Ed? Um, the question I asked you earlier on, how would this relate to B2B companies if you're marketing to B2B companies or companies that are in niches? So how would you, say, get the data enrichment and how would you use that in a niche mm -hmm. market? So so something we always start with with every, every customer we talk to is what is your ideal customer profile? Uh, if you can't describe that in just simple words, um, you've got a, a bigger, bigger problem. But what is your ideal customer profile? How can you narrow it down to be specific, quantifiable? And yeah, d we, we encourage people to use only nouns and verbs uh, to do that. And once you have that, it's very easy to tie to the data. So uh, say a company like HubSpot. HubSpot's looking for, say, SMEs in Europe. That's where they want to grow next. Well, how can you make that a bit more specific? What technologies are they on? What company size, et cetera? And then you can start looking for the data to fill in the blanks there. So data enrichment is really about filling in the blanks, but not aimlessly. It's to answer the specific questions you guys have. So start with your ICP. Uh, I can share, maybe in the roundup, we've got a guide exactly how to do that um, with, with a mind to building a data-driven persona, data-driven account. Can I take that one step further? Um, flavor of the month at the moment is a sort of account-based 
marketing yep. models. There seems to be lots of companies who do that kind of stuff. This type of approach presumably fits incredibly well to an account-based model. Yep. Yeah. Have you got experience of that? A lot of your clients. Yeah, I was uh, talking to Sangram, who coined it last week. Uh, <laughs> the the thing about uh, account-based uh, marketing. So this marketing, who are your best fit leads, and then uh, building out engagement from there versus attract people in and then try and filter out there. Um, this it's built on uh, having a lot of data up front. So whether it's data enrichment providers, prospecting tools, whatever, having you build that build that small list of our ideal customers, and then also your strategy how to nurture. Up front, so it's still it's still the same principles of how do you fill in the blanks, how do you personalise and also about who to talk to, what to say, when to say it. Um, I think some of the challenges around ABM are how do you grow engagement and intent when you're coming in cold. So what we're really seeing, and also with um, uh, I should I should note that HubSpot invested in Terminus, Terminus being the company that uh, coined this, um, is inbound and outbound working together within ABM. So someone arrives on your website cold, you have this big set of content, you're winning at the top of the funnel, but that's where your ABM play starts. Uh, a lot of poll customers will start using reverse IP lookup there, identify the companies in the page, and then HubSpot's got something similar built in, and then begin that ABM process there. So every account-based uh, marketing team will then focus on the best fit accounts who have landed on whatever content they have, um, and being able to orchestrate ads, email, live chat. The coolest stuff we're seeing is around... Uh, predictive uh, live chat, predictive personalization in the page uh, around ABM place. So it falls, but you still need traffic there in the first place. You still need that inbound methodology. I don't think, uh, it's a shame there's not a whiteboard here, but this idea of totally flipping the funnel, I don't think it's quite right. I think it's, it's an element within a broader funnel. Um, I'm not sure if, <laughs> if you'll agree or disagree, but uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's where uh, we're seeing uh, companies think about that. Are you also seeing it as a reaction almost against nurturing. It, it's, it's like we talked a little bit before about gated yeah. and how that's fading away, yeah. more sophisticated. People are being used to being nurtured, if I can put it like that, and, yeah. and therefore you need to nurture better, you need to provide more value. Yeah. Is, is that the evolution of this? I think it's, uh, it's a kickback to the old strategy. Like Before inbound was really a thing, people were sick of cold calls, sick of people coming to them. Now we have this content play, people coming in, being able to educate, be able to provide value up front. I think people never extended that to the mid funnel. So when you put, put an email address, you're anxious about what's going to happen next. Well, candidly, like when I was first, first going around HubSpot content, compared to some, maybe some other, other, I mean, this is back sort of 2010 or whatever, uh, when I first came across HubSpot content, a lot of it was gated. A lot of the blog posts would lead to some kind of form, whereas a lot of other communities I was on, they just left the blog posts without a kind of a gated offer at the end and with uh, just open comments or something. Mm. So this kind of like, leads an expectation of, I, I need an email before I can provide value, versus the other way around. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, marketers, obviously if you're, in, if you're interested and you have a very targeted offer, that's where you can provide value through the mid-funnel, but it's, um, that, that, that's something which I think marketers have uh, kind of built a reputation for themselves for. If you don't provide value, then you, how can you nurture through the mid-funnel? Yeah. How can you get people to give and, you the And much address? of that value has to be open and visible on this side of the gate, as yep. it were, um, which is interesting if, you, if yep. you're actually trying to collect information. About so a uh, company which is talking prolifically about uh, dropping forms and dropping this gated content is Drift. Yes. Uh, Drift, founded by former consort <coughs> team based in Boston, uh, their big thing being no forms, no, no ungated content, etc. But they're basically doing the same thing just with a, a bot. Like the, the, the chat window is a form. 
Uh, so it can still function the same way, and they still nurture it the same way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. If anybody's come across Drift, just go to their web website. Um, I did it the other day. So I've never actually yeah. been on their site. I hadn't signed up for anything. I wasn't on any other lists. And immediately, the website started talking to me, saying, you know, welcome, White Hat. You know, we've worked with marketing agencies like you in the past. I thought, what on earth is going on? <laughs> I don't know these guys. You know, I've given them no information, but they know me. Yeah. And this bot was talking back to me. Yeah. So, um, so reverse IP lookup, all those different yeah. texts behind that. So we and, know uh, yeah. we know the now VP of uh, growth at Drift very very closely. Yes. Um, I should also preface that HubSpot's just invested yes. in Drift's latest round. So uh, HubSpot's all in on on, on this as well. Um, the reverse IP lookup thing is a massive ABM play. So in, in consumer, um, consumer is the coolest stuff. You have volumes, so you can do personalization, you can do all all kind of manner of testing. There's really interesting plays there. B2B, you have less volume, but you have way more data. And one of the key data points before you get an email address is IP. Because uh, companies tend to have offices with their own IP set up, there are some databases. Um, if you check out the link to the enrichment provider, um, our choice uh, provider on that is Clearbit Reveal. Um, so you can send an IP address, get a company domain back, and this can power. Um, this is the company which you see yeah. powering ABM plays, including Drift. Yeah. They've integrated inside their enterprise product. It's actually one of the under played features within HubSpot, right? You, you've yep. got this ability to, to look at companies that have visited the site. Yep. One of the problems is that anybody who visits your site gets in that list, so you get a lot of um, <coughs> Sky has visited your website, right? You know, yep. I, I don't think so. Yep. Um, or a particular provider of tech yep. has come to your site. Well, actually, no, it's an IP yep. uh, phone company. So, but you should, what you should do is actually spend some time filtering all that stuff out. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't actually take too long. You can get rid of 90% of it, and you're left with really some, some high-value leads yeah. of companies that you had no idea were checking you out. Yeah. If, uh, if anyone's interested in exactly how that process works, it's a little technical, but I can tell you, uh, <laughs> tell you afterwards. The, the, uh, that data being inside HubSpot, though, my challenge and plea is like to make that data more accessible and more uh, easy to orchestrate yes. across other channels and other places. Um, that's that's really the, the value we've seen with yeah. people doing reverse IP lookup, yeah. and um, they want to be able to do the next thing. So qualify the account, and then uh, associate contacts, and then uh, be able to update whatever marketing campaigns and sales plays they have. Yes. Um, but yes, ABM is a is a big thing. Hi, about a year ago, I um, had to uh, look at a, another agency um, that had decided to go all in with AI with one of its customers, and its customer was IBM. Mm -hmm. And they'd put a, a Watson-based interface right on the front of its website. Mm -hmm. Incredibly brave move. And it was the starting up the question is, you know, just ask me anything. Let's start talking type thing. It was awful. It, it, it was such a bad experience. And why on earth that agency, it was a reasonable size agency, had gone with that play. Obviously, they'd had their IBM had got the arm up the back. You know, you will try this. Yeah. Uh, but talk about getting it wrong on a massive scale. It's very high risk I to disagree. do an awful lot of this. I disagree because you're talking about it. What was the agency called? Like, yeah. So th th there is the element. Yeah, but I dissed that agency for judgment and, um, you know, doing that with your own brand is like suicide. So there's, there's the I wouldn't mover. go to that agency. I wouldn't recommend them. There's the first mover thing around bots. And I, th I, I agree, like, a lot of experiences, including Drift, 
are disconnected and don't come together. Um, I think is a kind of thing which we're going to see a lot of progress on, uh, particularly like as companies like HubSpot move into, as you get more users on that, you can train the models, you can associate the content, which is a big part of any mid-funnel play. Um, but the, right now, it's the so-and-so has done this, so-and-so has done that. For the people who care about AI, that is crack cocaine. That is, that is marketing in itself. Um, so yeah, you, you might have been alienated, but are you really about to jump two feet into AI yourself, or is like, you, you, you be able to market to the audience which you care about most? Yeah. I think with any kind of agency or any kind of company wanting to do that kind of stuff, um, particularly with cutting edge, bleeding edge, Mm. Technology. Um, best practice is not to stick it on your on your homepage on day one, right? You test, you A/B test, you put in small samples. You maybe put it on a on a landing page where you know you've got a particular conversion rate, yeah. and you're able to see the effect of that. Yeah. Drip feed, and then okay, fine, we can scale it up. Um, the other thing is that there's tipping points with this type of technology, and you know the the growth bot has been around mm. for a year. Um, played around with it in the early days, thought. It that was okay, and then completely forgot about it. Um, but as the functionality suddenly comes up, and people like Drift, they've got playbooks around how to interact and how to enrich data and how to um, do deal with different segments. Suddenly, that becomes valuable to the visitor. Yeah, um, and conversion rates on those forms can go up from, like I said, about ten percent, fifteen percent, up to the forty percent, mm. because you're progressively profiling. But yeah, be very, very cautious and careful. Test and, and tread carefully, because the world is changing almost daily. Um, drift is a particularly good one, though, I think. That, that yeah, but it could also be 0% as the yeah. case could uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> case being cited. Yeah. Any other questions? There we go. Thank you. Um, I just thought it was interesting what you were saying just then about how the world is constantly changing. I was just wondering, in your opinion, do you think that marketing changes so much in terms of technique from like inbound to AI because we're coming like coming closer to figuring out how people think and predicting what they want when they want, or is it because it always has to change because people become kind of numb to marketing? It's both. It's definitely both because like. I've heard the phrase "marketers ruin everything." Like we come in and we just like, ah, oh, we can send email now. And we yeah. ruined that. <laughs> um, I think there's a bit of both. There are some things which are always going to be true, like the way humans work and their psychology and the psychological biases. If you go on Wikipedia, look at the list of cognitive biases. That is fascinating. That will always be true. Um, and there are plays which will always be true there. Copywriting will always be a thing. It's then where are the channels, where are the mediums, how do people consume this copy, this uh, sales without needing a salesperson. That's the thing which changes. That's the thing which HubSpot solves for. That's the thing which Drift and Terminus and like all this like cocoon of like marketing technology. It's basically just all solving for that. Um, so far as the tactics, yeah. So within each one of those channels and mediums, like Twitter, you're constrained by now 280 characters, whereas Instagram, you're constrained by however many pixels or whatever. That's that's just the the name of the game. That's the kind of thing to keep up with. But the cognitive biases, how people buy, who your ideal customer profile is, that's all going to be true. You just need to have the, the flexibility in terms of technology, data, and strategy to uh, pull that together. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is why uh, companies like HubSpot are interesting, because they have evolved. They started as this marketing platform. They've moved into building that complete uh, journey. So us as marketers, as a sales guys, we have that 
view in one place. Um, but HubSpot, I, if I were a betting man, it would be uh, very different in about 10 years' time, 20 years' time, uh, because the tactics are going to change. If websites are totally different or not, we'll see. Um, and it's something which we can uh, bring, uh, create a consistent experience for, then expect the tools and tactics to catch up. I, I think, just to follow up on that, the consistent trend that I've seen is the emphasis on quality. Whereas in the early days, if you looked at SEO and, and you know, how to get on the top of Google, all that kind of stuff, it was very um, technical. It was you put this number of links and you put the keyword density at this, that, and the other. It's becoming less and less so. Google itself is becoming artificially intelligent, which means that it's capable of reading content and evaluating content. And it is only putting valuable content in front of searches. And as Christian mentioned, that is narrowing down to instead of having a list of, of 10 results coming out of Google, you're getting one. You're getting the answer to a question. And if you marry that up to personalization, you're seeing from an end user perspective, it's a good thing, right? You're, you're getting a definitive answer to a question that you have. And the technology is enabling that. And people are expecting that. So what you have to do as companies and as marketers to differentiate yourselves is, is move up the quality ladder. You've got to provide remarkable content, content that is worth remarking on. It's a trite phrase, but it's, it's the only real way to differentiate yourself. Um, but then also to segment. So what is valuable to one person is not valuable to another. So you've got to use your database very intelligently. And as the tools become more sophisticated, the marketers can use them without you know, having a PhD, then, then that will again evolve, and it will evolve, and it will evolve. It's the world that we live in, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you, how you look at it. OK. Anything else on, on that? OK, fantastic. Thank you, Ed. Thank you.